0: Well, I'm excited about this week's message and where God is leading us in this series on beginning to really understand what our soul purpose for, what our soul longs for. Um, it's one of these. If you if you've been alive for a long time, and some of us have been in here alive longer than others, we all see this things repeating in our soul. Like there are certain things that we all long for these common primal needs in our life that we all desire and and a couple of weeks ago we looked at this truth that you know we understood that we are physical and spiritual you're not just one you're not just our life cannot just be about our physical well-being if that's all we focus on we can get very spiritually and emotionally unhealthy and it impacts our physical but but neglecting and neglecting our physical can also impact our spiritual and these two things are tied together. They are woven together in our life. And, and we've been looking at how understanding our soul and our emotional and spiritual needs impacts how they plays out in our life. Last week, we looked at what it was like to, to where do we find our security. We all have a longing to be secure in this life. And we talked about dropping anchors of security and attaching them to the right thing. This week we're focusing on another primal desire we have, and it's this idea that we all have this desire to be loved and to experience love. Now, I love the word love. I mean, that's a great word, right? But, I mean, when I say that, it can mean so many different things. This week I made a kind of a conscious decision to listen to how that word was used in my life this week. Like, very quickly I heard it, You know, just almost every day from Katie and the kids and just a, hey, I love you, I love you. That word, it was used a lot in our family this week. I heard it used a lot between each other and that's certainly a way love uh, is experienced. And then I... Another way that I heard it this week a lot was in relation to food, right? I mean, I was at, we were out to dinner, Matt and Gina and Gary and I. Last Sunday afternoon, we just all happened up at this restaurant called Kavala. It's on 50th. And, like, Gina's like, I love this restaurant. Like, I've not been here before. I mean, it was just, I mean, she, I've seen her get excited about Matt, but this was pretty close. I mean, <laughs> it was, uh, and then... Uh, Friday night, some of us went out for Jamal's birthday, and I saw a side of Anna I've not seen before, because they, we went to this place called Blue Smoke, and they brought out these cornbread madeleines with like this sugar dip, and like her eyes just when she took that first bite, she lit up, and then somebody began to reach for them And she was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. I mean, she was, these are mine. I'm not sure if it was love or lust, but it it was, she went, like, I heard that a lot this week when it came to food. The the other way I heard it was kind of in a, almost a sarcastic tone, like, don't you love the seven train this week, (laughs) right? I mean, you're just like, oh, this weekend just, you know, it was like. You were using it to to almost communicate the exact opposite. You know, another place I heard this week was the weather, right, man? Wasn't that we just loved the weather this week, being able to get outside. I I did my, I put all my sweaters, I packed them up, they're under my bed now. I, I got the shorts out this week. Like, I was, I just loved that. And so when we talk about this desire to experience love, like, what kind is it? That family love, this love of Food that nourishes us, this experience. What, what is it? And the truth is, what I want us to do today is kind of take a deep look at understanding love. How do we first understand it? How do we experience it? And then what does God say about how we engage in love? And so the first step I want us to take today is kind of understanding love. Get us all on the base level of when we use that word, what does it mean? So when you look in scripture, When you look in philosophical writings, when you even look in in fictional writings, there are kind of four kinds of love that are usually expressed out. Four ways that, if you just, if you Google types of love, these four things would pop up very quickly. So I want to to walk us through those right quick and have us see what those are, and then talk about how they impact our The first kind of love that we like to experience is a love of like an affection. And affection. The, the, it's this idea that maybe the the love between family or or very very you know long long term friends is this kindred spirit, the natural bonds that we have with one another. Uh, Chase and I were talking this week. Uh, they're getting. I think everybody knows they're getting ready to have their second child. If you don't know, everybody knows now. But I think we we told everybody. Yeah. Uh, um, but it was this conversation of like, man. You ever have were you ever fearful that you might not love your second child as much as your first? And I'm like, No, it just happens. I don't no, I'm just I'm like, No, it's God expands that love. Like this these natural bonds, all of a sudden you love. It just flows out of you, this, this type of affection that you have, this, these natural bonds. And then there's another type of love that's talked about in Scripture and other places that's a, kind of a friendship kind of love. It's, it's these deep levels of friendships, a, a love that's grown through common interest and shared experiences, right? I mean, I, I get to know somebody and say, hey I, you know, hey, I like you, man, I enjoy hanging out with you. But as we start to do stuff together, as we join our lives together, we can experience love for one another. I love being around you. I love hanging out with you. I love doing things with people. So we want that kind of love as well. And then there's... Of course, the uh, a very popular kind of love, which is a romantic type of love, right? And this is a love that we see often, you know, deep intimacy between two people, between a married couple, of sharing their lives together. is developed through deep physical and emotional bonding. I mean, it's a romantic style of love. It's when you see somebody and your heart starts to beat a little faster and you're like, you start to get a little nervous. Your palms get sweaty. I mean, it's, it's like that romantic style of love. And then there is... The love that God demonstrates to us, which is an unconditional love this love that 's not based on maybe who you are, what you can do for somebody it 's based on the fact that they just love you and it 's demonstrated this is a kind of love that 's demonstrated through sacrifice and faithfulness and and i want to i 'm going to tell on myself a little bit here because I, growing up I, I would hear this taught. Uh, in church, and usually here's where it went to. Like, all those other loves are good, but all you really need is this unconditional love from God. Well, I don't believe Scripture teaches that. I believe Scripture teaches we actually need all kinds, all four of these loves. It's not a, should we, should we base who we are in this unconditional love of God? Yes. It's important. It's incredibly valuable. But, but we also, you know, I, I've heard before, hey, if nobody else loves you in this world, you can still live off of God's love. It's a horrible thought, isn't it? Like, wow, nobody else likes me. I mean nobody I'm not even nobody else even wants to be my friend. I mean we we all desire to have these broad types of God created us with all these different types of way to connect. We should connect with God knowing that He loves us unconditionally. We should have these deep friendships where we share, share experiences with people. We should have these family, uh, almost said afflictions, <laughs> affections for one another. <laughs> Sometimes they go hand in hand, right? You know, we have this romantic love that we desire. We want all of these things. We need all of these things. First Corinthians thirteen, thirteen says this, So now faith, hope, and love will remain, but the greatest of these is Love. Love. It's the greatest thing that we have to experience. So when we talk about love today and our soul's desire for love, I want you to it's not just one. It is this idea that we need affection, we need friendship, we need romance, and we need to be loved unconditionally. All of this. So now if we kind of understand what love is, the next question I would ask us is like, how do I experience love? How do I like, take it in? You know, If somebody is actually loving me, how do I actually receive that in such a way that it meets a need in my soul? And If you've never read the book or been through a study on the five love languages, uh, it's an incredible tool. It's, uh, and I'm not going to teach on the five love languages more. I'm going to tell you what they are. But it, it's a great tool for married couples, for families, for even friends to go to, through together to learn how do I experience love? And then how do those that I want to show love to, how do they receive love? Because you know what? However I experience love is usually how I express love. But that may not be the best way that Katie or PJ or Natalie or one of my friends ex- receives love. And I'm like, man, I'm giving you great words of encouragement and affirmation. That can, that's great, but I want quality time. And I'm, I think I'm giving these things. So the, the five love languages, if, you, if you're not familiar with them, are, are this: first is words of affirmation. But that we use our words to build other people up. And that we like to, you know, you like people to say nice things about you. Or that they notice what you do. It's not a prideful, arrogant thing. It's just a way that you receive love. Now, if you go around all the time and you're like fishing for compliments and somebody says, hey, I like that shirt, and you're like, yeah, well, what do you like about it? You know, or like, and you're like, tell, tell me more, tell me more. You know, it's like the, you're just wanting, that, that's a different thing. But when we take words of affirmation, they build us up and they encourage us. Our, the other, another way that we can receive love is through acts of service. And people willfully take the initiative and they demonstrate their love to us. Like, I know for Katie, like, if she comes home from work and there's no dishes in the sink, like, that's, she receives that as a great act of love. Like, it's, it's amazing, you know? And so, just doing things, not by accident, but with intention. Acts of service. Another way is gifts, right? That people like to receive gifts. I'm, I'm telling you, this is one of my love languages. I, I, I like them, not just when somebody, one of my least favorite gifts, and I'm going to tell you not to give me, is a gift card. Because what I would rather, I'd rather somebody think through enough of like, what is something that, man, this is something when I saw this, I thought of Patrick. And they actually get that. And that, so that's a, it's a love language for me. So it's not just giving, but it's giving with intent, giving with understanding of who that person is specifically in mind. A fourth one is quality time, right? It's, it's when you're there, it's not quality and quantity. It's that you're there, but when you're there, you're all there. You're focused in. It's not that you're with somebody, and while they're talking to you, you're on the computer or on the phone or watching TV and doing something else. You're focused in on them. Some people, that is their number one love language. And the last one is physical touch. It's a hug. It's an embrace. It's it's not just a sexual aspect of things. It's, It's that we just enjoy that touch, a hug, a handshake, just that physical connection with another person. And what I want you to understand, just like the four types of love, you don't have to pick one of these love languages. You know what? I I like all those. You know, it's not that that I'm like, okay, I don't need words of affirmation. You can talk bad about me as long as you give me some good gifts. You know, it's, it's not the way it has to be. We desire all of these. And when we are receiving all of these, man, it fills up our love tank very quickly, doesn't it? I mean, if you were thinking about it, if you are receiving these four types of love in these five ways, man, your soul is just overflowing with love. And we have this desire for love. And I bring these two lists up because it would be impossible for us today to look at God's Word and begin to study the Scripture and look at love without us all getting on the same page. So if I said, hey, we're going to talk about love today and, you were thinking about your last meal or you know, just your husband or wife or just how you feel about somebody else and you didn't understand this whole picture, then we wouldn't understand how Scripture speaks about this. So what I want us to see today is that we need all of these things. Our soul longs for all of these. But before we jump into Scripture, I think there's one more question that we have to ask ourselves and it's this. If we understand that, hey, we need these kinds of love and we like to experience it this way, then why don't we feel loved sometimes? Why, why is it that we can be in a city of millions of people and feel completely alone and complete, feel completely almost abandoned sometimes and unloved and uncared for? And, and I think there's three reasons. One is it can be people treating us that way. It can be people choosing not to love you. That's certainly one way. But I think there's two internal things that we can do as well, and one is this: as we try to fill up the types of love from the wrong sources. So if we're wanting this romantic love from some, maybe we're we're not creating these deep bonds. We're just creating these surface level physical relationships that maybe fill the tank up for a minute, but they don't meet that longing need. Or we're trying to you know, have this, uh, you know, affection for one another and this family and we, we want these deep bonds and we're just, we're going out and we're doing all kinds of different things. We're trying to find it different ways, but it still feels empty. It doesn't fill us up. And so we try to fill our need for friendship, our need for romance, our need for unconditional love from sources that don't meet those. And it still feels empty. But I think another thing is this is we don't make ourselves available to be loved sometimes. We shut it off. We build a wall. It's not that other people don't want to love us, but either we've been hurt or we, we don't trust people and we keep people at a distance where we know we long for love, but we keep people out. We basically turn off those dials of how we, we don't let people Show physical touch. We don't let when people say something kind to us. We don't take it in. We're like, oh, he didn't really mean that, you know. am not that that he was just saying that to get something, and we start turning off these valves, and we feel unloved, and we don't realize we're the one that's closed the door, and so other people can close the door. We can try to fill it from different sources, or we can close the door ourselves. What I want to challenge you to do this morning, as we begin to look at Scripture, is: Would you allow God to challenge your thought and ask you, "Am I am I closing off doors to love in my life? Am I am I refusing to allow myself to to be loved in these ways? Or am I open to it?" So we're going to look at Scripture. If you got your Bibles, or uh, open up your uh, your phones or iPads, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. And the way we're going to look at this is uh, we're going to look at these three stories, the three parables that Jesus tells, that kind of demonstrate and and talk about how he loves people. Let me give you a little context here. So as, as we jump into Luke 15, we've got to understand the setting here. Jesus had kind of been, if you remember, last week we were in Luke 12, and we talked about Jesus had gotten kind of this celebrity status. People were wanting to hang out with him. Crowds were coming. They were trampling over each other. So this is a, a few chapters later, a few you know weeks down the line from the story here. And Jesus is kind of on this... He's been invited to a number of religious leaders' homes. So he's kind of been on this tour. He'll go to this religious leader's home, and they'll invite him, Hey, Jesus is a celebrity, come hang out at my house. Right? I mean, it's inviting the popular person over so that you feel prestigious as well. Now, the religious leaders really weren't interested in really getting to know Jesus better. They were trying to do two things. They were trying to pump up their Prestige by having Jesus at their home, but they were also trying to find ways and trick Jesus into saying something that they could tear him down. And so he had been doing this and doing this, and he kind of gets to one of these, uh, he gets invited to this house, and instead of going to the house, he goes out and instead he hangs out with what they say are the tax collectors and the sinners, which are basically the worst of society. The bottom rungs, of what they would view of society. It reminded me, if you guys remember the Pope when he came to visit the U.S. back in September when he was in D.C., one of the news stories was he went, he shunned some of the political meetings to go to the homeless shelters to go and serve those in need. And I thought, I thought when I read that article, I thought about this passage because that's exactly what Jesus did. He was, these religious people were saying, hey, come on, hang out with us. We're the important people. We're the ones that you need to be with. And Jesus was like, no, I'm going to go hang out With the lowly. And not just the poor and the vulnerable, but like those that people were said, the most unlovable people in our culture. And so how do you think this made the religious leaders feel? They were like, we're the ones that you should be loving. We're the important ones. Come hang out with us. And Jesus took this moment to really turn on edge what love is. And and a lot of times I like to define a word or a concept, not just by giving you what it is, but sometimes it's easier to understand it when we understand what the opposite is. And many times people think, you know, when you think, hey, what's the opposite of love? The first thing that comes to your mind is hate, right? If you don't love something, and hate is actually not the opposite of love. Hate is actually a, a way that when something that I love is threatened, I get defensive. I begin to hate what is attacking my love? To me, the opposite of love is this: it's indifference. It's that I don't, I don't care if you live or die. I don't even think about you. And that's where the religious leaders were for the the lowest of society. They weren't even thinking about them. And Jesus said, "I'm about to turn that on edge." So let's look at these three stories, and I'm going to read a few verses at a time. So Luke 15, verses three through seven. And then me read this. So he told them this parable. So he's talking to the religious leaders because he heard what they were saying about him, and he said, "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, "Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost." Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So the first thing he says is this. I want to tell you the story of the lost sheep the sheep that was lost. Now, this is not a strange story. Again, we've talked about sheep and shepherding before a little bit in here, and that's not something we do in our day and age in this city. We don't, not, you know, somebody's not walking down Fifth Avenue with sheep behind them and like, hey, here's my sheep. And so uh, it, it's not something we, we understand on a daily basis. But like this idea of lost sheep was a regular occurrence. The people hearing this story would have understood because what would happen, the shepherd would take the, the sheep, his flock of sheep through a very rocky, difficult terrain and when he got on the backside, on the open country, it said where they would graze and feed he would count them and often he would have lost the sheep because the terrain had been too difficult for that sheep to get through and so he would leave those, the flock of sheep in the safe open country and he would go back over that difficult terrain and he would find the lost sheep that had gotten stuck somewhere And he would not only get it unstuck, but then what did he say? He would take it and literally put it on his shoulders because it was too difficult for that sheep to traverse, and he would take that sheep out to safety. And when he would get there, him and the other shepherds would rejoice that they did not lose a sheep and that they all made it safe and sound. This is an amazing kind of love that turned the religious leader's mindset upside down because this is a love that rescues This is a love that Jesus demonstrated here that said, look, these tax collectors and these sinners that you're talking about, those are the ones I'm actually coming for. Those are the ones that I came to save, to reach out to. He wants all to know that they are loved. Jesus isn't excited that 75% success rate made it through the difficult path. Or even 99% made it through. He desires for all to come out on the other side. you ever felt left behind? you ever felt just kind of abandoned that the terrain of your life has gotten so rocky, so difficult that it felt impossible to pass? You feel like everybody else is just keeping moving forward and you're stuck. And life seems to be moving on for everybody and everything, but you're just at a standstill and you you feel abandoned and alone. I want you to hear something this morning. God sees you. He doesn't just see you, He's coming for you. And I hear this He's not coming for you to judge you. He's not coming to say, How dare you get stuck? Why, why couldn't you have done better? Look at what the other 99 did. Why are you such a failure? He does not come in judgment. He doesn't come in judgment. He's coming looking at you to rescue you, to find you no matter where you're stuck and what you're stuck in. He wants to take you and wrap you around His shoulders and carry you to a safe place. That's a love that rescues. And and the religious leaders of that day had forgotten that kind of love. They looked at those that were vulnerable and those that were fallen and they said, let's leave them behind. Let's forget them. And Jesus says a true love is a love that doesn't forget and doesn't let go. And so I want to challenge you to anchor your soul in the love of God that can and will rescue you and refuses to leave you behind. Wherever you're at, God is not going to leave you behind. There's a second story that I want us to read. and Starting in verse 8, and he says, and this is kind of Jesus. He tells this story and then he goes right on to the next one. He didn't have to explain what a shepherd and sheep were like I did, like they understood. And so he goes to this one, he says, "Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So this is the story of a lost coin. Again, this is not a story of a woman who is just, you know, misplaces money and is like, oh, I lost some of our money, let me find it. Culturally, there's a picture here. That thing around this lady's head was given to her as a dowry. This was in, in those days. Men would pay the, the wife's family a dowry, a payment for taking her on as a wife. And one of the things she would receive as a dowry is this headband or necklace that had ten silver coins on it. It was like a wedding ring. Dra- I mean, a, a wedding ring. It was it was a sign that she was chosen, that she was valuable, and that someone cared for her. Can you imagine if that, how meaningful that was if she lost one of those coins? It wouldn't be just like, oh, I dropped a nickel and I can't find it, right? All right, what? It's like this. You ever lost a wedding ring? I mean, you ever had that? Like where is it? We, we were at the beach one time. Some guys of us were on a guy's trip, and we were out just playing in the ocean. There were about 10 of us. And all of a sudden, one of my friends comes up like, out of the ocean screaming. Like, oh, no. Like, we're, like, we're thinking a shark is coming. Like, you know, run. I mean, like, what is it? He's like, I lost my wedding ring. Like we're in the we're in the Gulf of Mexico, and he's like, what do I do? And so we all literally go over there, and we're like, ten of us are like in the sand, like trying to find. And by the grace of God, we found this. Way. I mean, it was, and that's what we, we were like. Yeah, there was great rejoicing, <laughs> like, because he he was already figuring out like. You, where? How can I get a replacement before I get home? Like all this kind of, you know, <laughs> stuff that is just going through your mind. And I imagine this story, like this, this woman who, you can tell it's missing. Like if her husband comes, it's like, where? What? You know? Because there were also stories of women that would what do that, and they would actually take those off and sell them, and and they would use them, and it would show like I don't I don't really value your love. And so this is not just a story of a woman who. Lost a nickel. It's a someone who lost something incredibly valuable to them. And what I want you to understand is this: is that Jesus again here is shifting the focus, and he's helping us understand that God is searching for those of us who have gotten disconnected. It's not that if, if we fall off or we fall away that He looks at us and goes, "You got to find your way back." That coin's not going to find its way back. That coin's not just going to go, oh, I fell off, let me hook myself back on. Right? It has to be searched for. And I I want you to hear this today. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how distant you feel from God, He has not stopped looking for you. He hasn't stopped. He continually is wanting to love you with a love that redeems. He doesn't just want to rescue you. He wants to, re- he wants to bring the full value back to make the picture whole again. And so he tells these two stories that are just, again, people would have immediately understood and be like, oh... Yeah, you know, if I lost that, it would I would search for it. God is searching for those that are lost. The last story that he tells, and I'm not going to read the entirety because it's a long passage and it's one we're probably somewhat familiar with, It's the story of the prodigal son, the story of what I call the lost son, of this son who went to his father and said, Give me my inheritance now. I think I can live better than you. I'm smarter than you. If you give me the money I'm going to go make a you know, name for myself. And the father graciously does it. The son squanders all of the money. Ends up in a pig pen, literally eating the pig food of pigs. Comes back to his father begging for the job of a servant. And what does the father do? He loves him with a love that restores. Because he doesn't just say, yes, you can have a job as a servant. You can be the least of my household. Here's what he does. He comes out and he gives him three things. If you read the story, it says he put a robe on him. And what that robe symbolized was you are back in the household. It's a robe of righteousness. You are made right again. And so this is a love as we understand that it restores us, this restoring love. It's not that when we turn back to God, that we've got to do these 10, 20 10,000 things to make it up to God. He forgives and he restores. He didn't tell his son he had to do anything but be there to put the robe on. And then he gives him another thing. He gives him a ring. And he says he puts the robe on. He puts ring. And the ring was a sign of authority. With that ring, you could go into town and you could purchase and you could buy things on behalf of that household. It gave you authority and power. And God is saying, look, my love, when it restores you, you have access to everything that you've ever had access to before. Nothing is withheld from you. You went and squandered everything that I gave you, but guess what? Everything I still have is yours. And then the last thing that he gives him is sandals. He puts sandals on his feet. And I love this because what he's saying is, now I want you to go again. I'm not going not gonna to keep you from leaving this place again. I'm not going to keep you here. But as you go now, I want you to go and speak of the love that you've experienced again. Go for the right reasons. Go out and share for the right reasons. Instead of going out on your own, go out with my righteousness and my authority and live life as I intended. And that's the way God restores us. And, and I don't know about you, It is easy to forget these kinds of love. It's easy to just try to fill our tanks of friendship and romance and affection and even unconditional love from so many different sources. And God says, look, at the very beginning, at the source of it all, would you remember that I love you with the love that is going to rescue you? I'm not leaving you behind. If you got stuck, I'm not leaving you behind. If you feel lost, I'm coming for a love that redeems you. That even though you walked away, I'm going to bring you back and bring you back full value. And then I'll love you with a love that restores you. Bring you back fully. And so this morning, remember I asked you to kind of think about, are you even keeping God and His love at arm's distance? Are you thinking... I'm not worthy of God's love. I've done too much. Or have you had this view of God that He's abandoned you? You don't think that He's looking for you? Or even you're like, well, I'm kind of back, like I've come back some, but I'll never be what God intended. I'm kind of a broken Christian. There's no such thing as a broken Christian. We are fully redeemed, restored. Do we make mistakes? Do we still fall short? Yes, but we're not broken in God's eyes. I want to challenge you to live out of that love. Try to live off of, are you trying to live off of just one kind of love today? Would you live off of this restoring, redeeming, rescuing love? Let's pray together.